Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. It's a little colder today. Anybody lose anything in the wind last night? That was some crazy wind, wasn't it? Uh, woke up this morning, looked outside on my deck, and uh, my grill was completely uncovered. The 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 whole cut, and, and it has those little like little wrap things, and it just poof, right out at bottom of the, uh, the the yard and you guys who know my yard is like you know 45 degree angle so I'm kind of rappelling down the hill trying to get to the uh, to the grill cover but yeah that was some wind last night but that's all right we are here this morning and this is a beautiful day to praise God just like every other day is uh, I have a couple of announcements before uh, we go into the sermon uh, first of all uh, I want to let you know again our desperate need for technicians, people who can help us with running the sound and the, uh, the slides, the computer, uh, the camera, the live stream equipment in the, uh, in the office in the back. Um, as you can see, Wendy has been relegated to the camera today uh, because um, our other camera, well, our one cameraman is running the live stream because Dana's not here because she had surgery and our other camera operator is home recovering from COVID. So she had to kind of just step back there at the last second and she's so excited to do it um, once. <laughs> she is not technically inclined, but I know that there are some people in our congregation that might be a little more technically inclined so please if you are interested in serving on the tech team and we're looking probably for about three or four people that can cross train on all of these things let Dave know um, he is kind of our tech guru uh, we are blessed to have him uh, along with Dana and uh, just please talk to him just even just about what it it entails um, and if we get enough people then you know we won't have the same person every day um, uh, or every Sunday having to do that also uh, tomorrow um, the uh, morning hour chapel board will be meeting uh, last month at our uh, board meeting we discussed uh, taking up a special offering for our Christmas uh, I don't say Christmas Eve, but our Christmas program service, the one that's going to be next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Um, and we've decided as a board that um, the offering that we receive, uh, we are going to give to uh, other organizations that uh, are needing funding at this time of year. We have been tremendously blessed uh, by you, by your giving, uh, by the giving of others outside of the church, so much so that as of uh, the end of November, we actually met our giving goal for the year, uh, which is great. We're gonna be able to do some great things with your giving, with the giving that comes in December, but we wanted to be a blessing to others as well. So uh, tomorrow we're gonna make final decisions about which organizations we're going to uh, donate to. We'll send an email out this week, um, and we hope that you will also uh, richly bless those in the community. How many of you have ever heard of a man named Buster Keaton? Anybody, anybody recognize this guy, Buster? Yes, all of the um, 
people of a certain age are raising their hands. Uh, those of you who are a little bit younger maybe don't know who Buster Keaton is. Buster Keaton was a silent movie star. Uh, so that tells you about how long ago uh, Buster Keaton was performing, although he did do some, some talkies um, as he got older. But Buster Keaton was a silent movie star, and he was most famous for performing all of his own movie stunts. So if you watch a Buster Keaton movie and you see certain things going on, um, he is performing those stunts and it's so incredible because there was no such thing as green screen, there was no such thing as CGI back in the 1920s, 1930s when he was performing. So he, they didn't even have trick photography at that point. So everything that he did, he had to plan out, he had to choreograph and then he performed on camera. And all of his stunts were done for real. And some of you who know him might remember um, the, a famous scene in a movie called The General, where uh, Buster Keaton is on a train track. And there's a train, a, a steam locomotive that's coming in behind him. And he has to clear the track of this railroad tie. You guys do know what railroad ties are, right? The, the big wooden beams that, that go across. And, and there's a railroad tie blocking the train. And he's the engineer. He's got to unblock the, the track before the train derails. And so we see him do that. And he's there. And he gets it out just at the last second. And, and the train kind of scoops him up on the little cow catcher, that little triangular thing and he's riding with the 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 beam and you go about another 30 seconds and then there's another beam also on the railroad track and he has this beam in his hand and he can't get the beam out of of his arms and throw it and get it to to the next one so he actually takes the beam in his arm and he throws it at the other beam and the other beam flips over right before the train gets there and he saves the day isn't that cool can't you just see that in your mind? Now, <laughs> my sons and I, uh, and Wendy a little bit, but my sons and I really love to watch football. Anybody, any football watchers here? A little more modern now that we're talking, right? Um, anybody ever heard of a player named Odell Beckham Jr.? Odell Beckham Jr., and for those of you who haven't watched him, I'll tell you a little story about Odell Beckham Jr. One time when he was playing with the New York Giants, um, he ran out for a pass. And Eli Manning, the quarterback, he tosses this pass. It's like a 52-yard pass sailing through the air. And Beckham was being defended by a Dallas Cowboy who kind of had his arm wrapped around his arm and he's trying to break three and he's tr doing all this stuff. And at the very last possible second as the ball starts sailing down towards him, he reaches up and kind of does one of these little arch back things and catches the ball with one hand and brings it down and rolls into the end zone for a touchdown. Isn't that incredible? Can't you just see that in your mind? Or can we? I can explain it to you, and, and to be honest, as I'm explaining, even as I'm being animated, who are you seeing in your mind? You're not seeing Buster Keaton. You're not seeing Odell Beckham. You're seeing Pastor Joe catch that pass and throw that, uh, throw that wood, right? Because sometimes we just don't have that, that visual reference. Sometimes we just can't see it. I can give you all the detail in the world. I can tell you all the story in the world. I can describe it to you. I can be passionate about it. 
But sometimes you just don't get the full effect of something unless you see it for yourself. And this morning we're continuing a sermon series where we're using the lines from the Christmas song, Do You Hear What I Hear? And we're framing the events surrounding Jesus' arrival, his birth, his childhood. And we're talking about answering a very important question. What difference does it make? What difference does it make that Jesus was born? What difference does it make that we can read about these things? What difference did it make to the people who experienced what we can read? And most importantly, what difference does it make to us today? And this morning, our sermon is titled, Do You See What I See? And in the song, the lyrics go, said the night wind to the little lamb, do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb. A star, a star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. Now see, I love this song. This is a great song, even though uh, wind talking to lambs and lambs talking to boys. Yeah, it's a little, okay. But it's a great way to tell the story of Jesus' birth. And this particular verse refers to the story that we read in Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And in this passage, we read that the wise men visited King Herod. They went to Jerusalem, they visited King Herod, and they asked him, where's the child? And the king conferred with his people, and he learned of the prophecy that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which wasn't too far south of where Jerusalem was. And the king went to the wise men and, they, and sent him. He said, this is where he's going to be. He's going to be in Bethlehem. Go and, and worship him. And then when you're done, come back because I want to meet him too. I want to worship him too. So you come back and you tell me exactly where he is. Right? And then we read a little bit further. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they found the child. And they brought gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we, we hear this story, this Christmas story, every single year. And then, after they have come, after they have worshipped, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So they departed to their own country by another way. They're not told why they shouldn't go back to Herod. But being wise men, they might have figured it out. But they're told in a dream that they are not supposed to go back. They're not supposed to tell Herod. But what they did know is that they were searching for a new king of the Jews because they saw his star in the east. And last year we talked about who the wise men were and what this star was and what it represented. 
And these wise men traveled 900 plus miles. They went from what, what we now know as, as Iran all the way to Jerusalem just to see this new king of the Jews. Now last week we talked about uh, shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. How many of you have ever seen an angel of the Lord? How many of you have ever seen the glory of the Lord shining around you? Seriously, anybody? Now we read this story every Christmas. We even sometimes go to little Christmas pageants and Christmas plays and things at churches and schools and we see children dressed as angels. Right? How many of you went to, uh, did they still have the, the drive-through uh, living nativity last night? Uh, even with all the wind? Right? And I, I saw one one time, um, I didn't actually go, but I saw some video of it where they had one of the kids like tied up into a tree <laughs> to be an angel. Which if I'm a kid, that is cool, right? I'm going to sit up here and then of course the light would shine up and shine down and all of it. And, and it was really good. And we see these things, right? And they, and they act out the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and all of these things. So we kind of get the tiniest little glimpse of what that might have looked like. But we've never seen an angel appear before us. We've never seen the glory of the Lord shining around us. We've never been able to see these things. And because we haven't seen these things, Yes, we, we believe them, but it's really hard to imagine them. It's really hard to put into our minds exactly what that could possibly have been like. I mean, try putting yourself in the position of the wise men. Something so incredibly radical shows up. This star appears. God shows the way. From 900 miles away, he shows the way to the newborn king of the Jews. To the shepherds, he sends first one angel. And then we see a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And I mean, can you, can you even imagine what that was like? And we just, I, I can't do it. I can't imagine that. And I want to ask you a question this morning. If it's hard for us, as Christians who believe that these things happened, if it's hard for us to imagine the full intensity of seeing an angel with the glory of the Lord shining around, how much harder is it for people who don't know Christ to imagine that these things could possibly be real? How hard is it for people who don't know Christ to even believe that it happened at all? 
As Christians, we, we, we have this saying uh, that was actually borrowed by uh, the Polar Express. Uh, seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. Right? And we hear that in a lot of the Christmas movies and they're talking about Santa Claus. Seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. But we believe that. As Christians, we believe that believing is seeing. Jesus tells us after his resurrection, uh, when he visits his disciples a couple of times, he, he actually <laughs> uh, shows us an example of what this means. On the evening of that day, this is the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and they said to him, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, whether you have ever been in church or not, you have heard the phrase doubting Thomas, right? It's a popular phrase. It's part of our vocabulary. And doubting Thomas comes from this passage in chapter 20 of John. But I think that Thomas kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap here. I really do. I, when Jesus appears to the other disciples, right? We just read this. He appears to them, and John says that Jesus showed him, or showed them his hands, showed them his side, and then they were glad when they saw the Lord. I mean, it's not like they were jumping up and down as soon as Jesus appeared. In other portions of other Gospels, it says that they were frightened. The door is locked. How did he get in in the first place? So it's not like they were automatically, oh, this is the Lord. They, and they see these things. They see the hands. They see the side. And Thomas didn't. He wasn't there. And look what happens. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Just the same as he did eight days before. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I think we get a wrong idea here sometimes. 
Jesus isn't making an example of Thomas here. Jesus isn't even disappointed in Thomas. I don't read disappointment from Jesus. He certainly isn't bashing him because of his disbelief. Jesus comes into the room, understands Thomas's disbelief, understands what Thomas needs in order to believe, and offers it to him. I don't read that Jesus is displeased with Thomas, but what I do read is that those who have not seen Jesus' hands, have not seen Jesus' side, those people who believe in him are blessed. So for whatever reason, Thomas tells the others that physically seeing Jesus alive is going to make a difference. He says, I will never believe until I see what I need to see. Thomas walked with Jesus for three years, seeing amazing things. And he still had trouble believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Is Thomas any different from the people that we encounter today? People who don't believe in God, people who maybe they believe there's something or someone out there. But they certainly don't believe that it's the God that we speak of. They certainly don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Is Thomas any different from those people? He is, in one way. He walked with Jesus for three years. He saw everything. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead. That's how Thomas is different. He saw but refused to believe until he saw more. And in the people that we encounter, sometimes we get involved in conversations about God with someone who doesn't believe. We call them atheists. They call themselves atheists. Or sometimes they don't know what to believe. We call them agnostics. Well, I don't really know. I'm, I'm keeping my options open. And of course, Christians don't like agnostics and atheists don't like agnostics because they're just sitting on the fence. They're not going to commit to anything. But we have these two groups of people. And when we have conversations with them, sometimes this idea of proof is going to come up. The person you're talking to might say something like, okay, prove to me that your God exists. Anybody ever have somebody say that to them? Prove to me that your God exists. And of course, some of us who are, are more savvy might answer that with a question. Well, what proof do you need? What proof will you accept of God's existence? And they might even give you a reasonable answer. Well, I would like to see this. I would like to see that. And then, of course, there are some that will give you an answer. Well, God can deposit a million dollars into my bank account today. And then I'll believe he exists. But whatever it is, they're looking for proof. 
They might ask you questions like, if God exists, why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen? There are people that my sister probably knows. My niece passed away of a heart attack at the age of 40. She had Down syndrome, so that was kind of a, a worry all along through her life. She's gone. And there are people that are wondering why would God take such an innocent girl? Because she was. She, was, she had the, the IQ maybe and the, and the maturity of maybe a 12-year-old, maybe even a 10-year-old. Why would God do that? And on top of that, why would God give the mother COVID and have her in the hospital the next day? What kind of God is that? And they'll ask these questions. If God exists, why is there evil in the world? And there are some Christians that will come back again with a question and say something like, if God doesn't exist, why is there love in the world? See, and I can, I can kind of, I don't want to say make fun of, but I can relate to those kinds of things. Because... I used to study something that is called apologetics. And apologetics doesn't, it, it doesn't mean I'm apologizing for anything. Apologetics is, comes from a Greek word, apologia, which means speaking in defense. And apologetics is the, the, the way that we learn to speak in defense of our faith. And in Christianity, we're speaking in defense of God, we're speaking in defense of Jesus Christ, and we are doing that through systematic argumentation and discussion. We just go down through these lists of questions that you know, we, we, we know that most atheists or agnostics are gonna ask, and we get the idea of apologetics from 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense, apologia. Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And there's a problem right there with apologetics. A lot of times it's not done with gentleness or respect. It's done to win an argument. But this is what Peter tells us. Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And there's a Christian apologist, uh, Greg Kukul, wrote this book called Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. And the very first line in the book, he defines apologists as those who defend the faith, defeat false ideas, and destroy speculations raised up against the knowledge of God. Defend the faith. Defeat false ideas. Destroy speculations. Sounds very adversarial, doesn't it? Sounds like we're up, we're ready for a fight. We're ready for an argument. Except I've read the Bible a few times. I've studied the Bible. And I've yet to find a book or a chapter or a passage or a verse that tells me that it's my job to defend God. 
Even in this passage, look back at the passage. Peter doesn't call us to defend God. Peter calls us to defend the reason for the hope that is in us. And yes, that reason is Jesus Christ. But that reason, when we drill down to it, that reason in each of us is personal. That reason for each of us is individual. Christ did something in you and you believe. The wise men probably wouldn't have responded to an angel appearing to them. I'm not sure they believed in angels. They would have tried to explain it away using science because they were men of science. So what did God do? He sent a star. He sent an astronomical event, a scientific event, to get their attention. In the shepherds, the shepherds were not scientists. They weren't going to respond to a new star in the sky, except to maybe say, oh, never seen that before. Where's that other sheep? Let's go. What were they going to respond to? An angel appearing and the glory of God shining around them, giving them a message. That's what they were going to respond to. When God wants to give us hope in Christ, it is always personal. God does something in us that shows us who he is. About a year ago, uh, I read this website sometimes called Quora. I don't know if you've ever heard of Quora or not, but people can post questions about pretty much anything in the world, and other people will come and they'll answer the questions, and some of the answers are good, and some of the answers are stupid, and you know, you kind of have to weed those things out. But basically, you go and you ask questions, and you get answers and opinions and things like that. And there was a question about a year ago that was posted on Quora. What do you consider convincing evidence for the existence of God? Not quite the conversation you want to get into on a, on a chat room site. You don't want to have that conversation like that because some of the answers, they got over 300 answers on this post before, and, and they shut off the, the comments after a while. They got over 300 answers and of course, you know, um, God could cure me of male pattern baldness was, was one of those things. God could um, let me buy uh, a sports car. God could do this. God could do that. But there was one answer that was posted that really kind of, to me, gives me this, this sense of God being personal. And it was posted by somebody called Anonymous. And they actually describe um, why they wanted to be anonymous. And when I read this to you, you'll understand why they might not have wanted to put their name out there for people. When I was around nine years old, I'm a boy, I was completely in tears lying in bed wondering if I should kill myself to stop the pain. When I was nine, I was abused sexually for years by a relative I was a loner, and literally the whole class picked on me. We know why he might have been, wanted to stay anonymous. 
I opened my window. We lived in an apartment. I was going to jump to my death. But in that moment, a voice, a feeling, I don't know what it was, told me to go lay back down in bed. When I laid back in bed, I felt super calm. I felt frozen in place. And from the tip of my toe, slowly a warm and loving feeling came over my whole body, feeling as if I was drowning, but in a good way. And when the warmth reached my head, I became super relaxed and felt extremely loved. A sort of ecstasy, you could say. I tried in that moment to get mad or to get angry or to get sad. But it didn't work. And the feeling of extreme love stayed with me until I fell asleep. This experience I've never forgotten in my 40 years. It literally changed me. So is God real? Oh yeah. For me, he's very real. This is my experience and the evidence I needed at the time. When someone wants to know why you believe in Jesus Christ, your answer to that question is going to be different from the person sitting next to you who's asked the exact same question. Because God reveals himself the way we need him to reveal himself to us. Christ is still there. Christ is at the center and always will be. But I needed something. When God revealed himself to me through the Holy Spirit, than what Marion needed. Than what Steve needed. Than what Wendy needed. God loves us individually. And God knows us so well that He gives us exactly what we need so that we can see Him, so that we can feel Him, so that we can experience Him in our lives. We're not called to be defenders of the faith. Way back when, defenders of the faith were going around killing people if they didn't say they were Christians. Defenders of the faith were putting people into rooms and torturing them until they confessed that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior. You ever heard of something called the Inquisition? That happened a lot. We're not called to be defenders of the faith. We're called to be defenders of hope. We're called to tell people our story. Because I'm going to tell you something, and you may not believe it. God puts people into our lives. People who are going to ask us about our faith because he knows they need to hear our story. 
We're called to be representatives of the kingdom of God. We're called to be ambassadors. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of you guys knew that you're involved in ministry? If you're a Christian, you're a minister. You might not like it, but it's the truth. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. For our sake, I'm sorry, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are being implored on behalf of Jesus Christ to make our appeal, to make God's appeal to other people so that they can be reconciled to him. And our appeal isn't going to be head knowledge. Our appeal is going to be, this is what happened to me. This is how God worked in my life. This is where I was. This is what happened. And this is where he has carried me. So those of you who believe that you can't possibly be a minister for Christ, you can't possibly share the gospel with people, what you need to understand is the gospel. The good news is that Jesus came for me. He came for you. And he came to give us a story so that we can tell it to others. We are in the reconciliation ministry. We need to defend God. God can defend himself. We don't need to defeat false ideas, destroy speculations, all of these things that apologists are known to do. The Holy Spirit is, con is in control of teaching people. He's in control of telling them what's true. Of convicting them. It's up to them whether they believe the truth or not. It's not our job. Our job is to tell our stories, to share the message of reconciliation with God. And the best way that we can do that is to tell our stories. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, just before Peter tells us that we're supposed to defend the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviving, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Don't repay evil for evil. What that basically means is don't be a jerk. Don't treat people the way they treat you. 
Treat them the way Jesus would treat them. Let people see what a person who is reconciled to God looks like. Let people see that we represent who God is. We are supposed to share this incredible news of reconciliation with other people. We're supposed to do all that we can to live a life that reflects God's love. What difference are we supposed to make? What difference is this story of Advent supposed to make in the lives of other people? It's supposed to show them that they are loved. That they are loved by God and they are loved by us. And that there is hope when they can't see hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we can worship you, that we can read through your word, that we can be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for reconciling us to yourself through whatever happened between us and you, between us and Jesus, between us and the Holy Spirit to bring us to this point of reconciliation. Father, our stories are unique, but they're not so unique that somebody else won't be able to hear the hope that we have in you that won't be able to hear why you want to be reconciled to them. Father, I ask that as we continue through this Advent season, as we continue through 2022, as we continue through the rest of our lives, please make us bold storytellers. Help us to love others so much that we want them to see the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and so that they can be reconciled to you through the teaching and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go through your daily lives, you're going to encounter people that God wants you to encounter. They're going to wonder why you have hope. They're going to wonder how you can possibly have hope in this world today. And they're looking for your story. Go this week and become storytellers for Jesus Christ. Tell them who you are in Him and how you got to where you are, how you got to that hope. God bless you this week.